0: Thanks for tuning in to the Scattered Broad Network. I hope you'll check out our other podcasts that we have. Uh, Certainly, special thanks to Aaron Kozort for helping to make this possible. Our yearly theme for the Scattered Broad podcast is Assaults on the Church, and this month's episode is on arrogance. And so, Michael, with that in mind,
1: I think I'll turn that over to you. Thank you. I've just always tried to pattern my life after you, Jameson. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, when we talk about arrogance— Uh, I found some quotes a lot of times sports and arrogance go hand in hand and the idea of arrogance on a you know sporting field or a hockey rink or something like that Uh, Brett Hull was a hockey player and he said the following "Uh, do I catch flack because I am so much smarter than everyone else I don't know. Uh, I am 10 times smarter than everyone in this game, beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's um, a hockey player, so that's not exactly. <laughs> Uh They don't look smart, but evidently he was 10 times smarter. Mike Tyson said, uh, I will fight any man, any animal. If Jesus were here, I would fight him too. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo said, God sent me to earth to show people how to play soccer. He said football, but it's, it's soccer. Uh, Chad Johnson said there's three things in life that's certain, death, taxes, and 85 is always open. But my favorite actually doesn't have to do with the sport itself, but with Muhammad Ali. Uh, he's quoted as having gotten on an airplane and refused to like buckle his seatbelt. And the flight attendant came by and she said, Hey, you need to put your seatbelt on. And Muhammad Ali said Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the way the story goes, the flight attendant responded, Well, Superman don't need no plane either. And so uh, if you really were Superman, you wouldn't be on here, so put your seatbelt on. Uh, But when we think about arrogance, there's so much that kind of goes hand in hand with the idea that we propel ourselves to be better than we actually are, even if we are that talented. And all of those men, as far as I know, were prolific in their field that they played, you know, and in their sport, they were really good at what they did. They were very talented. They scored a lot of touchdowns or points or whatever it is per, you know, the specific sport itself. And Muhammad Ali goes down as one of the greatest boxers of all time. But all of them overinflated their sense of worth and began to have a moment, even if it was just that specific moment in time where they elevated themselves to be higher than everyone else. And I think the reason that arrogance is so frustrating is it basically puts me on a plane that i i want to elevate myself as close to god as possible without being god or in the case like mike tyson said i'll fight jesus if he were here too literally saying i'm better than god and i could take him in a fight if we needed to he couldn't by the way Uh, jesus wouldn't even have to let a punch be thrown you know he would be able to win that but i mean that's just where we're at with these ideas of these arrogant quotes so that's kind of a little primer, if you will. Um, I'm sure someone could have done that better. Um, if I said someone couldn't have done that better, I'd be in danger of being arrogant. So, <laughs> no. uh, Jameson, back to you, buddy. Uh, yeah, well, hey, great job. I don't
0: think anyone could have done that better. Thank um, you, I guess. So, Arrogance, <laughs> I think that, though, gives us a good idea. It's this exalting self. It's really lifting ourselves up above everyone else, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And as we kind of take that idea maybe let's bring that into our lives and in the church and really think about what can that look like? How can that show up in the church?
2: You know, I think that um, a, big, a big way that this happens is that um, some aspect of the church, maybe it's teaching or song leading or some, uh, just some aspect of, well, nobody can do this as good as I can. And so I need to be the one doing this all the time. This happens in uh, leading people as far as like, you know, maybe there's an event going on, you know, I'm just gonna throw one out, maybe like a VBS and like someone just kind of micromanages everything because, well, you know, they're the only one who really knows how to do this right. And um, there's a lot of that attitude in people. uh, And that's, I think that that's a, a really big problem uh, for this idea of arrogance in the church, and people might not even think that, that that's arrogant, but that is, is what it is. It is arrogant to think, I'm the only one who can do this. Nobody else can, and if I don't do this, it's going to be bad, and And so we've got to be careful about that, and of course, you know, just in this whole general topic of, of um, arrogance, this is in complete contrast to what God wants from us. He wants us to be Humble servants. I mean, I think about Colossians three and verse twelve. It's one of the the list of uh, characteristics that we should have is to be humble. To be humble people. God wants humble servants. Well, guess what? You know, humble servants and humble service. It is um, that we all need in order to really get stuff done. If you think that you're the one that can do everything, not as much is going to get done. You know, but if um, you kind of spread it out, there's a lot more that gets done. And so. Uh, that that really is a, a, the end result of, uh, of people and their arrogant attitudes in the church.
3: It's a little bit of the my way or the highway kind of mentality. You know, it's, I've got to do it. I've got the idea. I've got the way we're going to do it. And if we don't, or if you don't follow me in this, you know, then that's, then I'm out. And I'll take my ball and go home, basically, the idea, you know. But it's this, especially in the church, and like you say, you know, whether it be in the realm of, leading in worship or in some way or, you know, even, I mean, it can happen with preachers very easily. You know, it's yeah. something we certainly have to be weary of, you know, uh, in our lives because this is the kind of thing that directly connected to this is the idea of pride. And so, but where arrogance takes, you know, it, it takes pride in who you are. But it takes it to a whole nother level where you begin to look down on someone else, and and you would push yourself up higher by only stepping on someone else. And in the church, we're we're you know we're taught to put others first, and to you know, and this whole idea you know is is I think what Paul uh, writes to uh, the church at Philippi when he's uh, Philippians chapter two, before he gets to let this mind be in you which was in Christ, he begins by saying, you know. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, this arrogance, right, conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Now let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then he explains what Christ did. But in all of this, he's, he's, he's taking a picture of, of what's going on in the church. So This is, this is in the church in the first century. It's in the church today. It's something that we all have to be careful about, is, is trying to put, exalt myself above everything else. And in this very thing, the, the one that's to be exalted is Christ, according to verse 11, Philippians chapter 2, you know, it's, it's that every tongue should confess Jesus is Lord. He is the one who is to be exalted. And so, if it's the case that I'm going to learn to do humble service, if, if I'm going to be a humble servant of Christ, then He comes first, and what He says is that others even come first, before me. And that's that's hard for us to do, and, and our society teaches the very opposite of that. Yeah. You know, you get yours, you get, you know, what am I going to get for mine, you know, and I've got to, it's me, 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 and I, 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 and, and so the focus is always inward on ourselves. and that's that is seen as being successful in our society, and that tr- slips over into the church very quickly.
1: Yeah, when we talk about the idea of the opposite of arrogance being humility, it reminds me a lot of Second Chronicles chapter 1 when God asks Solomon, hey, what do you want? Ask whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon's response is, God, I wouldn't be where I am without you. And there's this contrast at the end of Solomon's life, in, uh, you know, what is it, Second Kings 11, when it talks about the mindset of Solomon when he was older allowed the women to turn his heart away from God and to no longer serve the Lord for that moment where he was serving these idol gods. That's a sharp contrast of a man who started off so humble to realize, God, you you've given me a people as vast as the dust of the earth. There's so many of them, and I don't know how to really serve them as the king that you would have me to be without guidance and wisdom from you. So give me that wisdom. Give me that understanding. Let me know what I need to do, because I wouldn't be here without you." It's completely opposite of 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the people are so arrogant and they make the statement, you know, we want to be like the other nations. Make us Mm -hmm. a king and Mm -hmm. let us be like these other nations, because they're so much better than we are. That's partly, you know, an idea of arrogance is they looked at a nation that had a king and the other nations, and they said, that's better than God. That's arrogance. The idea that if we just have what they have and we do it the way that they do it and did it, then we'll be better than what we already have. That's what we're trying to talk and and warn against, and that's exactly what Solomon was saying about himself was, God, I couldn't be better than you are.
2: Yeah, I think think that's an excellent point because uh, I was working with a congregation one time and I had... Uh, not to go into much detail, but I had I pointed out that there was somebody in the congregation that had some significant sin that wasn't being dealt with. Brought it to the elders, and they just kind of like, oh, well, you know, if we do anything, you know, they yeah. might they might leave the church. And and it was like, well, wait a second. And like I knew at that moment, like I was just going, this is this sounds a bit terrible. And then I realized, oh, all of a sudden. This leadership feels like they know more than God. Because God said to do these things, first Corinthians five, Matthew eighteen. You know, we God said to do this. Yeah. But yet, oh no, if we do it God's way, then this is not gonna be the best outcome. No, God's way is the best outcome and to think yeah. anything different is arrogance. I like right. what you're saying and that's why that, that thought came to me. Yeah. Yeah. Arrogance is I mean really something that's very
0: easy. I think, to show up in our lives if we're not careful. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of what you said. It's like, almost like we're smarter than God. You know, God didn't foresee this this potential problem if we do this His way. And yeah, it's exalting, exalting self, exalting what we think. A- and really, when we think about arrogance, I guess, we've kind of thought about what it means, what it can look like in the church. Uh, we've even talked about why, you know, this is something we should avoid in our lives. But how... Maybe getting a little bit more specific, you don't necessarily have to refer to specific people, but maybe getting a little bit more practical in our application, how specifically can this damage the church, either from within or perhaps even damage the church, the community looking at the Lord's church and Christians? How can arrogance cause such great problems in the Lord's church, you think?
3: When I think of the Apostle Paul when he refers back to you know the way he was as a Jew and what he had pers- done persecuting the church you know he writes to Timothy and he says he was an insolent man and that's another uh, synonym really for this idea of arrogance and it's this haughtiness and you know he as a Jew he thought he was better than everybody else and so this is how he would shut down Christianity is by by attempting to do that and when i when i think then Paul turns around and he is he is writing, he writes to Timothy about being such a, you know, a blasphemer and an insolent man and all of that. I think it's First Timothy 1, uh, verse 13, somewhere in there. Yeah. But he makes the point then, you know, that, but I'm, how does he see himself? He sees himself as the chief of sinners. Yeah. You know, and, and you turn around and you say, okay, here was an arrogant man, but what has happened? He met the Lord, right? And, and that changed his life. And in, in so doing, we have to, you know, okay, well, how does that apply to me? You know, the things I used to do, I don't, I don't do them anymore. We, we sing with our young people, right? And and so this that that kind of lifestyle where it's about me, 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 and I, you know, has to go. It can't be a part of the Christian life. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it is opposite of everything that the Lord has tried to do with making a, a household, a family, and the people of God who would be thoughtful enough to not just keep the gospel to themselves, but go to someone who might be financially lower than them. Or, you know, in society, you know, looking at them, they would they would be lower than that. No, that's that's, you know, you have to you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, let him lift you up. But at the same time, you go do his work. Well the only way to do that is through humility and, and getting rid of this idea, this arrogance, and, and like uh, Matt was saying, you have to, you know, we have to be able to humble ourselves enough to get to the point that I, it's, not, it's not my way, it's not about me, it's about the Lord, and it's about His salvation, and, it, and I've got to turn it to there. I've got to get to that point in my life where it's not, it's not me. And I, and I will tell you that that is a hard thing when everything against is working against you in this life, in that sense. And so, for the Christian, this is, this is difficult. Yeah, you think
1: about the
3: uh, relationship in the Old
1: Testament, because that just seems to be a good place for me to camp out right now with this, between the Israelites and God, is kind of like a type and anti-type of what the relationship is supposed to be like with Christians and God. We're supposed to be His chosen people, that royal generation, you know, this wonderful priesthood that God has blessed us to be a part of. And when you study something about arrogance, there's something that happens in Second Chronicles chapter 10 that we see even happen today. And let me set it up first by telling the story, and then let me give you the verse— Recently, within the last year, a Church of Christ in my area, immediate area of where I live, came out and said, we have heard a lot of the, you know, clamoring from our young people, and we've heard from a lot of our younger, you know, members of this congregation that you want to have instrumental music in the worship assembly, and after studying and doing all of the fact-checking and everything and reading the Scriptures, we have determined that there is no biblical reason to not do this. And so starting in January of 2023, we're going to have a traditional service and a contemporary service. I think is what they called it. And they had like 20 elders at this congregation and all 20 of them were, were quickly flashing up and saying, "We've listened to the young people and we know what that that's what they want." In 2nd Chronicles 10, it happened that jeroboam is talking to rehoboam he's, he's with all of these people and the elderly come and they say hey your, your father made our yoke very heavy and now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and heavy in his heavy yoke which he put on us and we'll serve you if you do this we'll serve you without any problem and he said well come back to me after three days and then he sent and asked the elders hey what, what do you think about this proposal and the elders said you know if you're kind to these people and you listen to them these are the older men of the, the you know the kingdom so to speak they will listen to you and be your servants forever, verse 7. But he rejected the advice of the older men, and he consulted the young men who had grown up with him and who stood before him. And he says, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people? And they said, you know what? You tell those people in verse 10, he he said, my little finger is going to be thicker than my father's waist. First of all, that's arrogance, the idea that I'm going to be even worse. I'm going to be so much better and a better king, but also You thought you knew bondage. You thought you knew hardship. Wait till you get a load of this." And when he takes the younger advice, it blows up. It's not—it doesn't go well. And part of the arrogance that we kind of see that really affects the church today is the idea that we allow people to be God. And what I mean by that is, in the case of this congregation in my area, They allowed the men and women of the younger generation of that congregation to be God because what they said they wanted is what they wanted. And I heard Brother Liddell say recently—I heard Brother Liddell say recently—I just kicked the table. I heard Brother Liddell say recently in a lectureship, it's amazing how people, when they want to study something and they don't like the pushback that they get, they say, well, I'm just studying it, only to come to the conclusion they'd hoped for all along when they're done. And I think that is a very, you know, imperative point to make when we talk about arrogance and studying the Bible when it comes to the church. How many of our ministers right now are predetermining what they want the Bible to say, and they're studying it and finding a way to force that puzzle piece to fit, and then coming back and saying, here's what the truth is, but is it really what God has said? Or are we guilty of doing, in the case of these elders in that congregation, listening to the younger and taking what they want? Young people don't know what they're talking about a lot of times. And part of the reason God set up elders to be a part of the leadership of the church was to protect the church from the ideologies of younger people who don't know any better, who are not very learned in the faith. They've got to be. So that they can teach them what's right, we've got an imperative because if we if we don't get a handle on it in some of our congregations throughout the country, we're in danger. Yeah,
0: and I think part of the danger is really what you touched on is it's we have to be willing to admit sometimes you know thinking about the younger generation that you know we don't really know as much as we might think we know. Yeah. Um, You know, even younger preacher standpoint, you know, we like to think probably that we're pretty smart True. or at least smarter than most people in God's word but and I have to remind myself quite often you know I really don't know anywhere near as much as I think I know yeah um, I think about some of the some of the preachers we have on the days gone by podcast mm-hmm. you think about how long those guys studied and they spent time in the scriptures you know 50 60 70 years preaching and it's they have probably forgotten more than I know and it's—you think about that, and it's like, okay, I've got to be humble in my approach to God's Word. And I think we all have that same mentality. So when we approach this, we've got to approach God with humility. Any other ideas on how it could—arrogance could damage the church? If not, I've got another thought I'm going to move on to, but I didn't want to leave any of you out.
2: Go ahead.
3: <laughs> Wayne. <So>, good.
2: <clears throat> I am— um, I was thinking just uh, about the sake of evangelism. Think about that. If you are an arrogant person, you're not really going to reach the lost yeah. um, because those people are beneath you. And a lot of uh, brethren have that mentality of, oh, man, they're, they, you know, the lost, and they, they think, you know, degra- de- degradingly towards the lost. Oh, this, yeah. is, this is... But, you know, we were all once lost, and we need to, you know, have the mindset that we're going to go out and we're going to find those people matter of fact thinking about that like just uh, very quickly um, I was working with one congregation and um, the leadership wanted to go and door knock and so they they gave us the neighborhood that they want us to go door knock in and it was the richest neighborhood in the area and uh, and and one of the members said you know what if we get just one person one person from one of these houses to become Christians, then you know, like our budget is set. You know, like we're good. And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what are we, what are we doing here? Yeah, but what's the motivation? Um, yeah, that? what's the motivation here? But when you look back at First Corinthians chapter one, uh, and you look at um, really it's verses eighteen and following. Um, but verse twenty says, "Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age?" Uh, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And it goes on. When you get down to verse twenty-six, it says. Uh, For ye see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And uh, it goes on. But that's the, the idea is, is that, you know, a lot of times when we have these lofty ideas of our own selves then it, you know, kind of puts down all the people that we could be reaching out to. I mean, I think, you know, it's, uh, not to spoil any other episodes, but because um, uh, I don't know exactly what would be on this one in particular, but I was talking with uh, Caleb Rutherford about some of the, these ideas when it comes to, like, the LGBTQ plus whatever, you know, whatever well, num- names you put behind that. But, um, um, you know, we need to be reaching out to them as well we're not going to reach out to them if we're constantly thinking that we're better than them um, yeah they're involved in sin uh, guess what uh, you have also been involved in sin and you know the wages of sin is death you know so all that being said you know, we got to humble ourselves and remember that we, we're, we're not more important than anybody else we, we need to go out and find as many we bring to Christ because that's what he wants us to do
0: yeah. And really in guarding against arrogance in our own lives, really kind of building off of what you said, realizing that I too have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And as you said, the wages of sin is death. Taking it back to what Wayne said earlier when Paul was writing to Timothy, there's, he used to be that insolent man, that prideful, that, that thought more highly of himself than he ought to have thought. And when he tells Timothy, really seems really part of the key to now the difference in his thinking is he realizes I did sin. I was a blasphemer. I I realize this about myself now. He even refers to himself, as you said, the chief of sinners. He realizes, I thought I was so much better than everybody else, but what I came to realize was that I had sinned just like everybody else, And, and I stood guilty of the same sin and deserved and had earned the same consequences the same punishment uh, I, I think about over in Luke 18 when Jesus tells the parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector And you remember how the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself it says they they, they believed themselves to be better than everyone else and in, in that prayer uh, the the Pharisee it says in Luke 18 verse 12 he says I i fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. He had said earlier, I, I thank you, I'm not as other men are, like extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. It's this, I'm so much better than him. And what's interesting is at the end of that parable, the, the tax collector, he prays for mercy. There's humility. There's no pride in approaching God. There's yeah. humility, and Jesus says that man, the tax collector, he went down to His house justified, not the Pharisee. And so, in guarding against arrogance in our own lives, what do y'all think are some things that will help us as Christians to to be on guard, to
3: watch out for letting arrogance and pride creep into our own lives? I think having a right estimate, estimation of oneself, you know, which is part of what Paul is writing, especially there in Philippi too, that when you think about... And just to kind of go back and touch on what what Paul writes, even to the Church of Rome, when he writes, you know, in the first chapter you have those of the, you know, the, of the old Gentile world. Then he turns it on the Jews, and you know, you don't have anything to speak of either. And then chapter three kind of summarizes, you know, we've all sinned, and 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 that is the that is the point, you know, that, that you were making here. But you know, and Paul almost in all of his letters, you see that start to come out. You see his humility, you know, and and so, and and I think about, think about even you know the like how Peter uh, himself, you know, Peter's someone you know, not me, Lord. That's not going to happen to me. Yeah. That's arrogant, you know. And, and you know, Satan, he wants to have you, and he looks like he's going to have you. You know, he's he's going to yeah. work on you pretty hard. And so this this going back and forth for us, you know, to, to kind of put it, okay, well, well, how does it look in my life? I I know. I know when I'm being arrogant. You know, it, it, it starts to come out, and it comes out in different ways. And I, you know, I'd be the first to admit. You know, when I think of, you know, we might think, okay, well, I hear um, from a preacher standpoint, I hear a sermon. I say, okay, you know, well, if I preached that sermon, I would have done this. You know, yeah. Well, what, wait a minute. You know, now if it's it's, if it's false teaching, correct it. That's <laughs> yeah. fine. I get it. You know, but but just to say that oh, I would have done this. You know, I mean, that's that's such an arrogant attitude. And when I, when I have been around brethren, especially from that older generation, you know, the days gone by, you know, I, I think of, you know, some, some of those brethren, you know, Brother Perry Cawtham, you know, when I, I wasn't around him much, but I, I know every time I was around him, I picked him up at the airport one time for, I know, the Truth and Love lectures, and I just thought, this man is just, you know, he's a hero to me. And, uh, but he was the most humble, and he wanted to know what I had to say about things, you know, I'm like... <laughs> you know, who am I, you know, this yeah. is, you know, th- so this was just kind of odd to me, you know, but when you're around those men who have preached, you know, that 50, 60, 70 year mark, you know, we, we've got a man in, in our home congregation at Eastside, you know, he's he's 90, I think he just celebrated his 93rd birthday or something like anyway, you know, he's been preaching for 70 something years, you oh, know, wow. just the most humble person that you've ever met. And he just taught class, you know, and he kind of taken himself out of the rotation. He doesn't do much anymore, but he was teaching class Wednesday night. And just, you know, just to see him up there. Yeah, as, a, as an older man who's not remembering, his, his, you know, everything's not as sharp as it used to be. You know, but just to see everybody go up to him afterwards, you know, because they have such a respect for him. That's, that was the picture, you know, that, that just reminded me over and over You know, here's someone who has humbled him, who's had humility all of his life. I mean, everything that I've ever heard about this, you know, and then to see how others respond to that, that's where it can affect us in the church, where it'll help us be better people is to see those heroes like that who, who, you know, think about that influence and what it can do and how it changes us and make us better people that we should be.
0: Uh, Well, and really building on that, I'm reminded of when I was in school still, uh, sitting in Brother Don Walker's class. I can't remember which gospel account it was, but it was either Matthew or John. Uh, And at some point, I'd always heard this, so it's not like what he was teaching was new, but for whatever reason, it clicked. And it was the idea that, you know, you don't just need to know what this says, but What you have in here about the way Christ lived, you are to follow His example. You are to live like Him. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, when I was in school, sitting in His class, He said something in some way that it clicked with me in a way that it never had before. And you think about humility and guarding against arrogance in our lives. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example, and He's the one that we must pattern our lives after.